Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. For today's topic, we return to the secrets of the proposal writing world. Kevin and special guest Vicki Straharsky talk through the first four steps that industries should take after an RFP is released. Today's episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If you're frustrated with the speed of your learning curve in the government market, join the Skyway community. Visit skywaymember.com to learn more. Okay, let's get started with the first four steps. So to baseline the conversation, so our customer, our customer has decided to go after an opportunity. We help them target it. We help them shape it. It's the right fit. We help them shape the opportunity. We help them prepare as much as they can. The team is ready to go. You know, the experts are ready to start writing. We have a, a team of red team reviewers from our Skyway team all ready to move out. The RFP just dropped. There is a flurry of activity at this point, and there are lots of things that need to get done. But what is the first thing? What are the first four things in, in this case? So, so Vicki, what are the first four things somebody has to do when the RFP drops? The very first thing that you need to do, of course, is to read the RFP thoroughly. And when I say thoroughly, I don't mean just grab the the performance work statement and dive in. I mean, actually start at the first page and read the entire solicitation. And I actually do it uh, three times. There's a reason for that. And people probably gasp and stagger when they think three times, but it really does take me three times through to get uh, real detailed information from all the different points in the RFP. Uh, the next thing that I do is uh, establish a, a, a proposal schedule. You're the first day that you know when the proposal is due is when that solicitation is actually issued, and it has it right on there, the date and time. And once you've got the date and time that it's got to be in there, then you need to establish a proposal schedule from that point backwards to where you are today and lay out everything that needs to be accomplished, taking into account all the stuff that you read in the proposal instructions, whether or not it's a hard copy that's got to be produced or if it's an upload to a website, it makes a huge difference. The next thing I do is uh, is establish a kickoff meeting or conduct a kickoff meeting actually and get with all of the players who are going to be involved in the proposal development, writing, and things like that. The kickoff meeting helps us to, first of all, get uh, everybody's contact information just for instance, you know, because you always have, you know, additional people on the team that you don't know as well. And uh, it's always good to start nailing that down right up front. And the kickoff meeting allows you then to walk through the solicitation requirements so with everybody so that everybody has the same understanding, at least at a top level. And then uh, for the kickoff meeting, then I also hand, you know, get out the, uh, the proposal schedule and make sure people understand how much and what needs to happen between the date that, that we started this to the date that it has to be in the government's hands. Next comes the outline. The outline is how the proposal is actually going to be structured, right down to the paragraph headings and uh, the sections and the number of volumes and the titles all of that is established within the outline. So the four pieces we have, four steps, read the RFP, create the schedule, have a kickoff meeting, and do a proposal outline. 
And we're going to do episodes on each one of those in detail in the future. But for today, we're just going to cover at a high level, what are those for? But first, I want to say thanks. Say thanks this week to Bill Naughton from the United Federal Water Services Division at Suez NA. Bill gave me an outstanding and really detailed podcast feedback session from which I ended up with like a page of notes. He explained how he uses the content, how he found us, and why he keeps coming back. And that information is massively helpful to us. He even gave me a detailed suggestion on future podcast episodes about pre-award and post-award debriefings, actually. And we're working on that now. But the beauty of this is the feedback we get from these podcast feedback sessions really helps us understand who's listening and what you need to hear more about. And we really appreciate them. So thanks, Bill. Okay, so back to the what do we do when the RFP comes out, when the solicitation hits the street, as they say. The book answer sometimes is we aim, fire, and then figure out if we were ready afterwards. Because the problem is we, the opportunity comes up, here comes the RFP, and we just start writing. If you don't know what to do first or, or, or next, for that matter, we end up risking going off in the wrong direction but running really fast in the wrong direction. Yes, you surely don't want the proposal to be reactionary. You want to know pretty much what your strengths are and be prepared to uh, move forward on your proposal in a, in a planned method so that you can get the best product out the door. Yeah, I like that the planned method ideas. A random example that pops in my head is my son's baseball league. The umpires tell them the first thing you do when you come into the dugout is you take your bat and your helmet and you put them outside the fence so we can inspect them. So it, they know what the first thing to do. Imagine that game's about to start. Kids are all excited. They're all running out on the field. And so we had this system that says the first thing you do <laughs> before you walk out on the field, the first thing you do is take your bat and your helmet, put them outside so we can inspect them. That process, think of the same thing. When the, when the RFP hits the street, What's the first thing you do? The first thing is I read the solicitation. I make sure everybody has a copy of the solicitation and that everybody starts reading it. And I mean the entire solicitation, not just the, the performance work statement. Yeah, Tim, Tim on our team, Tim Griggs has this saying, I think he got it from the Army, REBDA, which stands for read everything before doing anything. <laughs> and that's hard to do. Because if you it think the, the, the RFP, like again, the excitement of the RFP dropping and everybody wants to start working and the argument may be, well, we don't have time to read every detail. Well, the response we have to that is if you don't have time to read the whole thing, then you may be out of your weight class. And, and that is very true. The solicitations can range from 10 pages up to, you know, hundreds of pages with hundreds of attachments. And if you are looking at a solicitation that is large, you know, 150, 200 pages, and you've got some attachments and stuff, you're going to require people more than just one person to be able to just generate the proposal. And it's probably going to be for an effort that is really uh, a substantial effort. Well, let's talk time zones for a minute. And this is in the acquisition time zones because we're talking about proposals. If there's a draft RFP, we may still be in the market research zone. It helps to be in the market research zone when you're paying attention ahead of time. You understand what the evaluation criteria may be. You understand it, what is the risk of, of starting early. All of those things before the RFP drops can be happening. But at this point, now the RFP has dropped. So that is the start of the RFP zone. And if you go back to episode three, it talks about the, the acquisition time zones and the RFP zone starts when the RFP drops. So we're firmly ensconced for this episode as well as the, the, the four coming up about what are the first four things you do. We are firmly planted in the RFP zone. 
So why is this important? Why is this important overall? Why is this worth talking about? Why these four matter? Well, the first one is you got to read the RFP. We've, we've, we beat the drum there. And I like your, your point, Vicky, about three times. If you don't have the time or energy to read it three times, then it, there might not be enough schedule for you. There, there, are, there are other issues to deal with. You might be out of your weight class. You need to understand what you're responding to. The government process is the formal written solicitation. There are so many things outside of that solicitation, which may be interesting and may feel relevant, but they're not relevant if they're not in that solicitation. So it's so important to understand what is in there. There are so many clues in there. And to be fair, there are so many tripwires in an RFP. It's very easy to get distracted about what you wish were in there or what should be in there, or what you thought was going to be in there, but what's actually in the RFP. Oh, that's, that is so true. I, uh, I had a client just recently, um, we started working on the, uh, the proposal. Uh, we had all read the solicitation. I had noted a couple of things, uh, as I do when I go through the solicitation, but the team already had a good grasp of, of what the solicitation was for. And it turns out that they had not read it as thoroughly as they might have and discovered after we had already uh, spent a couple of weeks and a lot of effort drafting the 50-page uh, proposal that it required a performance bond, and they did not have a bond. A uh, bond is a financial backing by a, a bank or other financial institution, and it's usually in the millions of dollars, uh, especially for the type of effort they're going for. Uh, so we came to an all stop abruptly while they went off to see if they could get a bond. Bottom line is it was wasted effort. They could not get the bond. Wow. And, and so there, there's a, that's a tripwire. <laughs> that's yeah. a very, very clear tripwire. That, that what, and the government is trying to, I'll be blunt, to trying to thin the herd for the companies who can't get a bond. Exactly. Right? And, and the, the sooner we know that, the better. And that probably wasn't in the draft RFP. It wasn't something they mentioned during the industry day, maybe, or if they had one. And all of a sudden, it's, it's in this 50-page uh, solicitation. And if you miss it, it's at your peril. So that's why we read the RFP. So let's move to the schedule. So step two is outline a schedule. Without a schedule, you will run out of time. Oh, that's very true, Kevin. And don't bet on an extension either. When you have the final RFP has been issued, bet that it's going to be due on that day. And uh, until you have something in writing that says differently, you can establish your schedule. There's a lot of different steps that have to be accomplished. For instance, like I mentioned earlier, if it's a hard copy, then you're going to have to spend a day maybe just printing, assembling, putting them into binders, uh, making sure all of the markings are correct and packaging the stuff and getting it ready for shipment. Just And that'll lead up two days because you have to back up from the due date so that you can have it de delivered the date before. Otherwise, you run the risk of it not being in on time. Uh, so a schedule is, in, is absolutely imperative for keeping everybody on track. And those dates don't move. That date is going to be when you, when you have to have it in there. So like I said, I'm working one right now. The schedule should have been developed when the, the RFP was issued. I came on board a couple of weeks after the solicitation was issued and asked what the schedule was, and there wasn't one yet. Oh, so I basically had a two-week window to get virtually everything done. Talk about stress, trying to get everything done, especially over the Thanksgiving holidays. <laughs> uh, and if this stuff were easy, everybody would do it, right? That's right. 
All right, so let's move to step three, the kickoff meeting. And it's based on how much time we have, because that going back to you just made the schedule. And so the kickoff meeting is the start, is probably, the, I guess, the official start of the schedule. Do we all know what the schedule is? Is kind of the overall theme of, of the kickoff meeting. But we also have to figure out who's doing what. Do we know what the milestones are? Do, do we have enough time to get to a point where we're going to have this as a final draft, which means we don't tinker with it anymore. It's it, it, the, the win themes are what the win themes are as of X date. <laughs> you know, there are certain things you can't change anymore. I, I agree. And I even have a kickoff meeting, uh, even when it's just one person who is the company. And I've been brought on to help manage and edit and, uh, and make sure that it gets done in an orderly fashion that we don't miss anything. Usually that's why I'm asked to help is to make sure that both of us understand the order and the exact steps that need to be accomplished and by what dates in order to ensure that it's delivered on or before the due date. Uh, in fact, uh, the one I'm, one I'm working right now, because they're getting on a GSA schedule, there is no firm date offered in the solicitation. It's open all the time. But we establish the date when he wants to have it in. And I, I have developed a schedule in order to meet that date. Otherwise, it will tend to slip out further and further and it will get put onto the back burner. And pretty much, pretty, pretty soon, six months have passed and there's no proposal done yet. Yeah, you raise a really good point as far as having a schedule when the government may not have established one. Things like a GSA schedule proposal or an, an RFI response may have a general calendar to it, but you don't actually have to meet that calendar date, but you have to set a schedule internally. The example you use on a GSA proposal that's a, an internally set schedule. But your point is, if you don't set a schedule, you may never get it done. And the point of starting this is to get it done at some point. So that's a really great example of why the, the schedule and the kickoff meeting are so important. All right, so let's move to the last piece. And so now we're, we're at the proposal outline, step four. And the outline is what the proposal is actually going to look like. What are we going to say? What are we going to write? How is the formatting going to work? Actually, it sets the actual headers establishes uh, the order of the documents that you're going to provide. It's based on the proposal instructions and the evaluation criteria. And it brings in a lot of the requirements of the performance work statement and where those particular pieces must be addressed. So you'll have a performance work statement that is what you're going to perform under the contract, for instance. But the instructions want you to address how you're going to manage the effort or how you're going to perform some of the technical pieces. And what you have to do is decide where you're going to address the PWS requirements, for example, within the proposal itself. And not just the PWS, any special provisions that are provided in the solicitation elsewhere. And, and we will cover each one of these four steps in detail in future episodes. But uh, for now, those are the four. Start with reading the RFP. Then you build a schedule, then you have a kickoff meeting, and then you finish with the outline, with the actual detailed outline. So let's move to the why the government should care. Why, why is the government care about these four steps? And these four steps are really important from the government perspective because I didn't know they existed when I was a CO. I assumed when I gave somebody 30 days, they had 30 days. They, had, they, were, they could use all 30 days to write. But the reality, based on what we just talked through, the first two days are going to be spent time reading the RFP, writing the schedule, doing a kickoff meeting, and starting to build an outline. So before they even started to really write their solution, 
they've, they're two days in, so they're done to 28 days. And then if I make them ship a hard copy, which takes a day to travel and a day to pack, that's two more days. So now we're down to 26 days. And of course, if I did things, which I did, I'm raising my hand, I would put out the RFP at six o'clock on a Friday. They may not have actually really gotten started on it until Monday. So now they're down to 24 days. Understand these four steps as a CEO. When industry gets the RFP, when they get the solicitation, this is what they have to do before they can do anything, before they can really start telling the story in the overall proposal, which you're going to read. If we don't read the RFP thoroughly upfront, then the then we're going to miss things that later on we have to ask questions, you know, more towards the proposal due date that may impact everybody's ability to even write the proposal. If we don't have a schedule, you're not going to get the proposal on the date that it's due because you know you may get something far less quality than what uh, than what we would have if if we follow a schedule and 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 follow a process. And the outline is actually imperative to making sure that the proposal that we provide is compliant and provides everything that the evaluators will need to read in the order that we that the instructions say so that the evaluators will have it in the proper order for their evaluation. It's a really, really good overview, really good point of why government cares, why as a CEO, I care about all four of these steps. So let's switch to the industry side. Why does industry care? Pretty much the same reason. If you don't use the process or if you haven't established the process, for instance, I can, I, if we're still waiting for the final RFP to come out, then, then I make sure that the participants, if I'm already on board, that everybody knows that as soon as the RFP comes out, that I would really like for them to read the entire RFP. And I try to emphasize that because, as you can tell, most of the uh, most of industry wants to, at least most of the technical folks, want to jump right on the PWS and look at that, and that's it. And PWS is performance work statement. That's the work that's going to be done on a service yeah. contract. Yeah, or a statement of work, either one, depending on the type of uh, of contract. I make sure that they know that. So in case it does come out on a Friday night, and it does often, yes, I'll raise my hand too. I used to issue them on a Friday night, but uh, actually it was off my plate at that point. Then the team usually will get started reading over the weekend so that we can actually uh, you know, have our kickoff meeting on the following Monday and not lose those days. 30 days means 30 calendar days, and we in the proposal world work those days. 30 days is 30 calendar days, and we use them all. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I didn't realize when I was a CEO. This is a great place to wrap it up because if you don't know what the first steps are, if you don't know what to do, then two things probably going to happen. One of two things. Number one, you're going to freak out and start doing things that are the wrong thing. You're going to start writing before you know what you're going to write about, or you're going to start writing before you have a schedule, or you're going to start creating graphics that you don't actually need, or you're going to guess. Say, well, what should we do? I don't know. Let's just do this. And it's very easy to get in this pattern of just start working on things to feel like you're making activity without a structured and organized process, you risk having a lot of non-productive time and time's what you got. You just mentioned Vicki that you got 30 days. You're going to work all of them, whether they're over the weekend or not. Well, time's all you have. So having a process, this nice four-step process and knowing what the first things to do are, you're more likely to end up with a productive proposal cycle and a better proposal coming out the door at the end. Absolutely. And if you don't have them, you lose time and that 30 days becomes 20 days 
or becomes 15 days. And the tighter the schedule, the honestly, the less quality the proposal will be by the time you get it out the door. Yeah, your, your risk goes up, your quality goes down, and your, your P-win, your percentage of win goes down. Because <laughs> the lower quality, the lower the odds of you winning. Absolutely. Thanks, Vicki, for being on today. And you and I will cover each one of the four steps in future episodes. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. If you want deeper context on any of our podcast topics, become a member of the Skyway community. Find out more about how the community can help you at skywaymember.com.